0: And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while we slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Welcome to an exegetical study of biblical scripture. This scripture is God's speech, God's story, written through the hands of men by his spirit, and it's all about God's glory. My name is Bryce Ferguson. Join me now as we go into the word. This is Genesis. I want to tell you about the goodness of God. The goodness of a God who is so loving and so consistent and so gracious and so merciful. And I spoke about this last week, and that's because God's goodness is unchanging. His goodness to his children, his goodness to his people. He is so loving. We can learn so much from reading his word about how to live our lives, what the lifestyle is of our lives, what we want our lives to be defined by, how we want to think mentally, how we want to feel emotionally,
1: how we want to act physically, how we want our speech to be seasoned. We want it to be seasoned like the Word of God.
0: We want our lips to glorify our God. We want our lips to be about his glory. We want our speech to be sweet in God's eyes. So that the things that we speak about are honorable,
1: are pure, are holy, are set apart as our God is set apart. I want to clarify what I said
0: briefly last week at the start that I'm going through a trial, and yes, I'm still dealing with a little congestion, and those are unrelated, I think. But I said that the trial is not sinful, but the causation may be. Often I know that we, as humans, as individuals, struggle with sin, that we are still struggling with sin, even as believers, even as Christians. And therefore, I am still largely sinful, even though I don't desire to be sinful. And there is a juxtaposition in that there is a, an oxymoron in that because my spirit longs to be with the Lord. My spirit
1: longs to be set apart and holy. And yet my, the other side of me, the flesh, is weak.
0: The flesh is selfish. And I have to war against that for God's glory. So just to confess to you that for the other side of it, as I meant last week, that the trial was not simple doesn't mean that the causation of why I'm experiencing trial is uh, not sinful because it could very well have been. And sometimes, I'm, sometimes I think God makes it clear to us, and sometimes I think we don't know why specifically we are in trial, but God allows it. God orchestrates it. We read it throughout God's word that there are trials and there are sufferings of all different types, even among God's people, even among God's church. And God allows it. Because there is a greater story about God's glory that is being written even in trial, even in suffering. And perhaps
1: it is because regardless of what happens to us, it's all about God's glory.
0: And as we are still even leaving our God in faith, we are still imperfect in the flesh. God is perfect.
1: God is holy. The church is a community of imperfect people. And
0: when the world looks from the outside, I hope that they look to Jesus for the perfect, for the perfection, for the holy. Because we are still sinners saved
1: by grace. We are saved by the one who is holy. We are not there yet.
0: I'm encouraged to open God's word with you today together and
1: finish out Genesis chapter 24. But first, let us open in prayer. The wonderful, the perfect, holy God. You are so loving and so gracious and so good. Your goodness knows no end.
0: Your goodness knows no measure because it is infinite. It keeps going and it keeps going and it keeps going your glory emanates, O oh God, throughout all known creation. Throughout this solar system and the universe which continues to expand. Down to the depths of the ocean, God, you are glorified. To the highest heights of the highest mountain peaks, the men long to climb. God, you are glorified. In the skies above, you are glorified. In the stars, call out your glory. And they shine forth the light that they only have because you have given them light.
1: And we only have life because you have given us life. All things are for your purposes, O Lord. May we surrender our selfish desires, and instead also be about your glory. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Chapter 24 in Genesis is a large chapter.
0: It follows a long chronology of days, and what we read in just a very brief 60-some-odd verses,
1: and over, what has it been, six weeks, study this together. This journey of 500
0: miles one way about, and then 500 miles back, takes a long time in the wilderness. Sometimes, just holding that Information in our minds it is humbling for what the actual journey is. It's easy to read a few sentences on a page. In fact, the servant's journey from the Negev back to Mesopotamia to find a wife for Isaac was one verse. Then the servant Verse 10, then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master, and he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. One verse,
1: about 500 miles, and a long journey. 500 miles
0: today is a long journey, if you're driving it. Even if you're flying it, it can still feel like a long journey. But on the ground, it's a long journey, Back then, they didn't have automobiles. This was a long journey.
1: And today we pick it up in verse 62. Rebecca has said, I will go
0: in faith with the servant and leave everything she has known
1: and go back with the servant to the family of Abraham. Now Isaac had returned from Be'er lahai Roy and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac
0: went out to meditate in the field toward evening, and he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife,
1: and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. We had read a
0: while back about Sarah's death, about the wife of Abraham, about
1: Isaac's mother. And death is such a hardship in a family. Death, when you experience
0: someone close to you, someone in your family dying, it is like nothing else on earth. It is extremely difficult and everyone handles grief differently and you can handle grief differently even
1: among yourself at different times. It is very hard and long and difficult. And this implies here that Isaac was still dealing with her death. And I believe that he was, and
0: even if it's been a significant amount of time, it can still be very crippling to an individual who has lost a family member a parent, a sibling, a child, what have you, a best friend, someone close to you, a relative that you are very close with.
1: Because death is not natural. Sure, you would say it's natural
0: today because it is all that we have ever known here on earth. Tangibly, physically, flowers grow and flowers die. Trees grow and trees die. Animals grow and animals die. Humans grow. Humans are born. Humans grow and humans die. But it does not mean that it is natural. It is common. It happened to all men, but two in the Bible and Jesus, who died and then was resurrected. And there were others who were resurrected it is not natural because God is a God of life. Because in the Garden of Eden, before there was sin, there was life and there was no death. And God warned Adam and Eve about something, one thing, one thing in all of the known creation, which was a ginormous,
1: lavish Garden of Eden. That God had provided in all of the earth one thing which God prohibited to see if they would obey Him in its prohibition, because He warned that if they partook of this, it would cause their death. And they did not know death yet, there was no death because it was not natural. It took their
0: opposing God to bring about death's existence, to bring about death into the world. Before that, there was
1: no death. Can you imagine that? No death. Because God is a God of life. And for all of God's children, after death, like Jesus, in his death, there is resurrection. But for those who oppose God and do not receive Jesus Christ for the penalty for their sins, death will mean something completely different for them after this life. Death is not natural. Death is damaging. Death causes an incredible
0: amount of pain to the family.
1: And Isaac was dealing with that. And Rebecca came in, that was a good thing. Let's look back at the start here. Back to verse 62. Isaac had returned from 'er Be'er L'Hairoi, and was dwelling in the Negev.
0: And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. We're not talking about present day 2024, that meditation means whatever an individual wants it to mean, and that largely meditation means in the American culture something very pagan,
1: very self-centered and very opposed to the Lord, no.
0: Meditation among the family of God in the Word of God means meditating on the Lord. He was out in the field seeking the Lord. He was out in the field in prayer speaking with the Lord. He was out alone focusing
1: on the Lord. Life is so busy, he wanted to get away. Maybe you can relate.
0: Life is so busy, there's so many distractions, especially today with technology, and sometimes
1: we just need to shut it off and get away. Sometimes we just need to shut it off and be still. Just you and the Lord. So that you can hear him better. So that you can speak with him without distraction. Isaac was seeking the Lord before he met Rebekah. In his
0: life, and yes, here in verse 63, like literally, minutes before, hours before he met Rebekah, he was seeking the Lord.
1: There is a lesson in this. Two people coming together is not just about two people coming together.
0: Love is not love as American television defines love. That is not love. Love is so much more than that in the eyes of God and in the eyes of his word, as detailed in his word, as described in his word, as shown by our God. Love
1: is very different. And it's much deeper. And it's much more intentional. And it's much less Dependent on
0: your feelings and your emotions at the time. Because feelings and emotions change. Feelings and emotions change multiple times every day, and they might change multiple times every hour, depending on the circumstance. And God has something incredible and wonderful and deep and rich in his
1: teaching us about love. And it starts with him. It starts
0: with our focus on him. Isaac was seeking the Lord before he met Rebekah. And what did we read about last week? What did we read about the last few weeks here? Also in chapter 24, just a little earlier, Rebekah had faith in the Lord before she met Isaac. So much so that she was willing to leave all that she had known behind, her family, her city, her town, her friends,
1: whatever it was, to follow where God was leading her. To follow the path that the Lord was calling her to, the great unknown, before her, before you. Are you so comfortable in
0: this life, in your present circumstance, that you're not ready to give it up if God had called you to give it up? If God called you tonight, if God called you tomorrow, I want you to give this up because I want you to leave all of this physical, tangible place, your residence, the friends that you have made here and go. I now have something else for you, and
1: I'm calling you to go. Will you answer me in faith and go? And Rebecca said, I will go. She was quick to answer in faith. Isaac was also willing to leave everything he had known for the glory of God. Think about this. Think about when he went up on the mountain with his father, Abraham. When he allowed, even
0: as a young man of faith, for his father to set the wood for the burnt offering down, to build it, and then to set him, to set Isaac on top of the wood, and then bind his son Isaac on top of the wood. Scripture says that he bound him on the wood. Isaac would have been so familiar with the practice of burnt offerings to the Lord as a practice in their family that he would have been extremely familiar with what was happening in laying him or him being laid on the wood and then being bound on the wood. Yes, they were both optimistic at the least for God to provide the sacrifice,
1: but he was realizing he, too, could be the sacrifice for the glory of God. Now, God is not about human sacrifice.
0: And unlike other pagan religions at the time, in fact, specifically, God calls out human sacrifice. And he says, no, I do not believe that. That is an abomination to the Lord. Some pagan religions sacrificed human adults. Other pagan religions sacrificed their children, their own children. They would sacrifice to a demon God. And God calls it out and he says, no. But even in Isaac's mind, he must have thought this is all for God. So the submission inside his heart, in his spirit,
1: was that he was about the glory of God, even as a young man. Isaac's focus was on the Lord. The pattern of his life and his
0: priorities were on the Lord. That was his priority in his life so much so that he set aside what he had to do today, quote-unquote, had to do today, what I have to do today. Set that aside, he goes out to a field to meditate, to spend time with God, to meditate on the Word of God, to meditate on the things of God, to be about what God is about. Because there's nothing that he has to do that would take the place of that. Rather, it is the field that is taking the place or taking the higher priority of what he has to do otherwise. There is an opportunity cost to time with the Lord and time in God's word in your life. And the opportunity cost is what is drawing you away from time with the Lord, from time in his word in your life. And God wants to have that high priority. God wants to be prioritized in your life. And the more that you give yourself to the Lord, the more your joy will be found in this. See, I think we're all seeking for joy. We're all seeking for the world would say happiness. Do whatever makes you happy. And yet the things of this world do not make you happy. They might make you happy in the moment, but it is not a lasting joy. There is not an abiding emotion in that, in the positive, because the things of this world lead to death. The things of this world have empty value eternally. And when we spend time with God, God has unlimited value. And he is fully eternal and he is fully set apart He created you. He knows your mind. He knows your body. He knows your spirit. He knows
1: what will give you lasting joy, and that is Himself. And in all of this, with Isaac seeking the Lord and Rebecca seeking the Lord individually,
0: God brings a man and a woman together to be one flesh for the man to hold fast to his wife for the wife to hold fast to her husband in marriage. And this is good. See, when two people come together on this earth, even two people of faith, you are getting two imperfect people together. But this is something that God created. And there is a goodness and a beauty in this that is unmatched in this world. Because this institution of marriage that God created between one man and one woman is something that God designed. It was God's standard. We just read it in Genesis 2. This is something that the Lord has established. This is something that is inherently natural. Because it was before the fall. Because God is about relationship. The Trinity is about relationship with the other members of the Trinity. God creates man because God wants to have a relationship with man. Relationship is natural because relationship is godly because relationship is God created. It is God ordained. God wants to have a relationship and this closeness that is experienced in marriage, God designed This closeness that you have, say, even between yourself and your best friend, this friendship that is incredibly close, that is closer than all other friendships except for your marriage, exemplifies this incredible closeness that God has with us, though in a more meager state, of course, because The relationship that God has with us is ultimate and perfect and complete. And the relationship that we have with each other, we are trying to emulate to each other godly attributes, godly love, godly mercy, godly forgiveness, so that we can show each other the love of God. And nowhere is that more pronounced in relationship on earth than in the context and the relationship of
1: marriage. What are some of the purposes of marriage? Well, we just read back in Genesis 2, verse 18, it's to not be alone.
0: It's very difficult to endure all the trials and all the
1: the burdens and the sufferings of this life alone. Therefore, God gave us
0: each other in marriage, gave us a partner. He gave someone to walk shoulder to shoulder with us for those who are married and for those who are single. God has given us the ultimate provision of himself for the time being and, or that may be for your whole life. I do not know, but God knows, but there's something incredible and there is something very beautiful in the fact that he gave us one to another, only one to another. You'll read examples of polygamy throughout history. That's not part of God's design. Because we see God's design in Genesis chapter 2, and that's one man and one woman joined together, holding fast, meaning forsaking all others. You are prioritizing that relationship, human to human, above all other human relationships— and they shall become one flesh,
1: one flesh, one faith in God, one value
0: set. That's not to say that you're not two individuals that have your own preferences, and in some areas, maybe you disagree on a few things theologically, maybe you disagree on a few things relationally, or how living your life and your values in life play out. But what it should be is the surrendering of all your personal desires to God. What it should be is you to join together in faith in God, putting your whole hope and your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ as the atonement for your
1: sin to make you right before God the Father. That in him we have the
0: propitiation of everything that we could not do on our own, but only through the shed blood and the resurrection of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And that will utterly change your life when you know that Jesus is on the throne of your life. That Jesus is the king in your life. That what Jesus says is the rule, that what Jesus says is how you live and how you are to think and how you are to love and how you are to show forgiveness. Jesus says, forgiveness, you must forgive your brother. You must forgive those people in your life, especially in the family of God, without number, again and again and again, 70 times seven, both biblical numbers,
1: illustrating not just once, not just twice, always. Because how much
0: have we been forgiven for in Christ? Everything. Every sin that we have ever committed, Jesus took care of on the cross. If you actually stop, a, stop for a moment and think about all the individual sins over all the years in your life, you will realize the incredible mercy of Almighty God to you.
1: And that will transform how you see forgiving other people. God has given us himself in our marriages to be
0: the priority of our marriages. God is on the throne of your marriage. Or he should be. He may not be, but he is over and above all things, and all things are created for him. So the sooner that
1: we surrender also our marriage to him, then we are in
0: order with him we are in agreement with him because God wants to be God over your marriage. And therefore, then when there's a dispute in your marriage, you can go to God, you can go to God's word and you can say, what does God say? What does God's word say? Because that is going to rule the day. And that will probably include forgiveness. And in forgiveness, that's requiring humility, which is, again, just showing to our spouse and to ourselves that it's all about God. It's not about us. And that we are looking for God to lead us in our marriage. We're not trying to walk out front of God and the other person and lead all of our own accord. No, God wants to be head over the marriage. Marriage is also an opportunity to encourage your spouse with faith in Jesus. Hopefully they already have faith in Jesus so that you would be united in marriage and that Jesus would be on the throne of your marriage. But if they are not, then pray for them relentlessly that they would submit their life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior so that you could have unity in your marriage. And if they do have faith in Christ, then encourage their faith in Christ. God has you in the marriage for this purpose. So that when they struggle, when they fall, when they are tempted, that they would run to Jesus. You have a partner in life. You have an advocate in faith, in life, joined together in a close personal relationship with you
1: so that you can both encourage each other to Jesus in worship, in faithfulness, in repentance, and in submission to God's authority. Because God is also God
0: of your marriage. And yes, you are in your marriage to love them. To love them. And not as the world defines love, we are to love sacrificially. We are to show love unconditionally. That is a God type of love. This world puts so many parameters on love or respect. They say, I'll love you, but as long as you don't do this, I'll love you or I'll respect you as long as you don't do this or do that or say this or say that. But imagine being loved unconditionally. It's like a ginormous hug of grace where you feel safe because you're not walking on eggshells in this type of love. You're not tiptoeing around hot coals in this type of love. This type of love
1: is like God's love. And that's how we are to love our spouse. is with a very
0: God-centric love. So that when they're going through something very difficult, or they're going through something where they need to talk a lot, and they need to talk about their thoughts and their feelings and all of this, and maybe you're not used to hearing it. Maybe naturally, you're not the kind of person who wants to sit down and to Walk through all of that with your spouse. But God transforms our hearts so that we can love our spouse.
1: And maybe they just need a time to be quiet, and love can respect that too. Because
0: love means being focused on God and being focused on the other person more
1: than we are focused on ourselves. And that also means a sacrificial mindset. That you are giving
0: of yourself for the benefit of the other person. And if you are focused on the Lord first and most, you will be. Because God drives that into our mind and God drives that into our heart in the best way. Jesus summed up the two Greatest commandments when asked by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That means
1: being proactive to love your neighbor. Not being reactive to love them. Jesus says. Looking up. Look up and love God. That's first. Now look out. And love your neighbor. He didn't say, look in the mirror at yourself. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. But the focus there, the primer there, the call, the commission is to reach out. That even when you don't feel love, to reach out. Because you love God. And because you are committed to this person
0: To show them the love of God. See, I think that's one of
1: Satan's tricks in this world. Is we we get fooled to think
0: that our thoughts, our speech, and our action in our marriage should
1: all be derivatives directly of our thoughts and our feelings. So what I'm
0: thinking at the moment, that's going to dictate my actions. And if I'm not thinking of my spouse at the moment, then I'm not going to reach out to my spouse or encourage my spouse or take care of my spouse or serve my spouse in the love of Jesus. Because that all started with my thoughts. That's not it. My feelings is also not it. Because feelings are fleeting. Feelings are Sometimes emotions and feelings are very fickle, and we're not to rely on them. Love is a commitment before God. It's not just a commitment. It's a commitment before God. The focus is God. The service is unto God. The worship in it is unto God. It's not just marriage with another person. You're not just committing to them. This is in the sight of God. This has to do with God. The focus is God.
1: The worship is God. We need to see it like that. We need to hold it like that. And then we will hold fast. And we will
0: not leave our spouse. We will not slam the door and walk out after a fight with our spouse. We will not say a critical word out of reaction to what our spouse said. Because when you see that you are in your marriage so that you can show
1: your spouse God's love, it transforms everything. And all of this, your behavior in your marriage, your spouse's behavior in your marriage, how you
0: react to your spouse's behavior in your marriage is all about glorifying
1: God. And men, we are called to leadership. We are the ones who are to be reaching out. We are to
0: be proactive about that second commandment that Jesus said, to love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, love your spouse extremely well because that testifies to your relationship with God before God.
1: Your responsibility is to love and to care and to serve and to forgive your spouse. But to
0: lead her in worship of God, to lead her in the studying of God's word, to lead her in prayer, to lead in forgiveness. You've done wrong to your spouse. Be the first one to reach out and to ask for forgiveness because we are to model christlikeness as christ for the church men to our wives and in that we shepherd them in that we care for them in that we nurture them in that we celebrate them as god's beautiful
1: creation in that we encourage them to seek God. Encourage her to seek God and to
0: be found in God, her identity in God, not in you. I know you know this, not in you. We're not defining our wives. We're not trying to give our wives an identity. No, she already has that in God. We are to celebrate her identity in God. We are to champion her to God, not champion her on her own, not build her up on her own, not set her on her own pedestal. No, we don't believe in idolatry. God's word prohibits that. We don't want to build ourselves up on our own, put ourselves on a pedestal on our own. No, it's about servant leadership. What are the two greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind strength. What's the second commandment? Love your neighbor, your wife,
1: and your neighbor as yourself. But the focus is reaching out. Unfortunately,
0: it seems like men in our American culture, and probably not just our American culture, that's my scope. Recent American culture and history, because that's
1: where I've lived, and that's how long I've been alive. It's probably always been the case. Men have neglected being proactive, largely, generally in life. But one, namely to
0: the Lord, and two, also to our spouse, to our wife. And third, reaching out to our community first to the family of God and then to those who do not know God, to our literal neighbor who lives next to us, who does not know the Lord. We ought to be reaching out to them for the purposes of friendship, for the purposes of respect, and yes, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Lord has called us to this. The Great Commission of Matthew 28 is for every single child of God. Everyone who identifies as a Christian, God has called you
1: to go, therefore, and make disciples everywhere. And in all of that, the glory is God's. We do not do it for ourselves, we do not do it for even our spouse,
0: we do it for their their welfare for their benefit so that they feel love so that they experience God's love, but we're pointing them to something greater. We're encouraging them to someone greater so that they are even more enamored with God so that they find their identity even more so in God so that they have a desire and a passion for the word of God
1: that you can know God by reading his word. God has given us his word so that we can know him. He has revealed himself to us through his word. And in all of this, God gives us an incredible gift of marriage. And
0: for Isaac and for Rebecca, God gave them each other. And God united them in marriage. Just like he said about Adam and Eve in Genesis 2. That was the model. That was the first.
1: And then that is the pattern to follow. So that we would hold fast and be one flesh in him. One mindset in him. One value set unto him because of him, that all things are created for God, through God, and to God. Let's pray. To our holy God who is worthy
0: of all of our worship, all of our adoration, All of the earth should glorify the one who is worthy. And there is only one worthy, the one who is holy and set apart, the creator God of all things, the one who has given us life and breath, the one who has given us each other, who has established marriage, who has established this very unique relationship on earth for us to model to each other your transformative love. Equip us, God, and may we surrender our desires to ourselves so that we would embrace how you define love, how you define marriage, and that we would be lights for the Father here on earth. Help us, God, to be quick to forgive and eager to do the things that you are calling us to do. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Join me next time as we continue in Genesis 25.